Go Ask Alice is a show intended for adult audiences because adults want to learn too. Sometimes we cover sensitive material, so please take care of yourselves and listener discretion is advised. Now on to the show. Hello, internet friends, and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and our Discord is popping off. With me is... <laughs> I'm Lindsay. Welcome to my dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm Sarah, and I ate swordfish last night. Really? Yeah, <laughs> okay. it's delicious. <laughs> This is the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes. We all start on the same wiki page every week, and we use hyperlinks within the article to wander around the internet until we find something we cannot stop reading. Usually this means that we have learned something new, and we are bursting with excitement to share it with each other and all of you. This week, we started on Cocoa Puffs. Which I discovered looks very different between Australia and America. Really? Really? Yeah, different sized balls and different character. We have a monkey. I think you have a toucan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait. Wait. <laughs> wait. Do we have a? I think is you a have toucan? a toucan. No, no. Oh, toucan Sam is Fruit Loops. You have a <laughs> bird on your Fruit Loops. I'm pretty on your Cocoa Puffs. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's a, he's a <laughs> bird. Yeah, he's a bird. Whereas we have a monkey. It's honestly shocking. This is a hilarious segue into question of the week. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. This week's question of the week was what food do you refuse to eat? And it can be based on whatever principle slash hatred you have towards the food. So I'm going to ask Drew, you're looking all innocent. What food do you absolutely hate? <laughs> uh, what food do I absolutely hate? For one, the easy answer is cilantro because I, it's like it's awful and it's horrible. I don't know. There's not too much that I don't eat, so I think cilantro is probably my answer. Okay, fair enough. Lindsay was shaking her head. Do you also not like coriander slash cilantro? Cilantro is absolutely hands down my answer, and I will not be spending any more time watering <laughs> down that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would be olives. Full stop. That I will not elaborate. Yep. Wow. Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> the reason I wanted to segue into this was we had listener submissions to the uh, question, and one of the answers from one of our listeners is cereal of any kind. What? Whoa. Where's their joy? I right. I was like, <laughs> I literally said, "Who hurt you?" Yeah. <laughs> What happened in your childhood? I live on cereal all day. I love it. I eat it for dinner sometimes. What other <laughs> answers did you get? Somebody, this will shock you. Somebody said mac and cheese. No. Hmm. What? No, I love mac and cheese. They said, they straight up, they were like, oh, did that, did that injure you? Here's more. Smells <gasps> absolutely foul and doesn't look much better. Where's their joy? Is that yeah. what, what our audience has been hurt by some people. <laughs> what mac and cheese have they seen? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Just to bookend Sarah's answer, uh, another one of our listeners, Gunshizer, our Twitch affiliate, says meat. So she would not eat meat. 
There you go. But Sarah started off the show saying she ate swordfish I last night. I did eat swordfish. I'm a pescatarian, but I would not eat a cow. And Lindsay, you're a vegetarian too, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, 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 Gunshizer, for saying I ate swordfish, but it ate, I will not. No, I take the apology back. It was really good. Now there's a fight. A fight is starting. We're going to lose our Twitch affiliate because of Sarah. No, we love you, Michelle. We're, get, we're internally canceling ourselves. It's gonna be, one of our own is like, fuck this, creative differences. Shall we see if we had creative differences in where we ended up this week? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Where did we end up? I'm going to do something very different this week. You do something different every week. (laughs) I'm going to take you guys on part of my wild ride. And I'm just going to tell you that it ends at a very raunchy, fake, real book in Skyrim. Oh, okay. (laughs) Called The Lusty Argonian Maid. The Argonian Maid. (laughs) (laughs) I know it. (laughs) wow oh my gosh i know nothing about skyrim i ended up surprisingly similar to Lindsay. i ended up on fan fiction yeah yeah i ended up on fan fiction i was like i was i was when Lindsay was talking she's like that's a book and i was like oh my god are we talking the same topic like at a moment (laughs) (laughs) you know what Actually, if my memory serves correctly, I think you intentionally avoided fan fiction one episode. I think you did, did too. I? Yeah. I think you're a stronger person now. I, I, you know, could finally hit the fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keen because, oh, we talked a little bit about fan fiction when I was talking about the Holy Grail and that that was like people were just mm. adding in their own endings for funsies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you guys haven't heard the Holy Grail episode, holy shit, you have to hear it because it is just <laughs> bad fan fiction. It's bad. <laughs> Canonically. He breaks his arm. <laughs> Don't give it away, Drew. That's the climax. Oh, no. Yeah, we were took very different paths. I ended up on the Oedipus complex, which do you guys, have you heard of that before? Do you mean Oedipus? Oedipus, yeah, like Sigmund Freud's oh, grand yeah. theory of yeah of everything. I ended up there, which is definitely not in fan fiction or near games. Sarah, that is extremely related to what we are talking about. That is like this guy. <laughs> I'm not going to give it away. That is extremely related. It, guys, we were just inappropriate today. <laughs> <laughs> Is this Patreon only content? Like, what is this? We getting this for free. <laughs> but if if you would like to support us, you can go to Go Ask Alice on Patreon and support for any tier, and you will get stickers and goodies and all of our love. Speaking of, we had a new patron this week. <gasps> yes, we did. You guys all know that we love Robin. We fucking love Robin. We extra super supremely fucking love Robin. Thank you for being our new patron, Robin Banks. Yay! We love you so much. We're going to keep saying it every fucking episode. We love you (laughs) supremely. Sorry that we're also doing this in the inappropriate episode, but 
Robin has subscribed at a tier in which she gets to choose both our starting location and the question of the week. So there will be a dedicated Robin episode. Sorry that it's not the sexy one. Yeah. It might be a sexy one. We might inspire her. Come <laughs> this might be Come our in. brand going forward. <laughs> if I can propose an order. Mm-hmm. Yes. I kind of want to line it up where like Sarah talks about the Oedipus complex. Then Drew talks about like nerdy, like, like we're going like intellectual into whatever the fuck I'm going to talk about. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's like, this is the psychology. And then Drew is like, this is how nerds engage. And then I'm like, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. know. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Especially because I have no idea what your topic is about. So I like the mystery. (laughs) Sweet. Okay. Are you guys ready to talk about the Oedipus? 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 Oedipus. It's spelled spelled with an O. It's ridiculous. The Oedipus complex. Like try to say edible and then just change the end. Like Oedipus. Oedipus. Yeah. All right. (laughs) So you've both... We're going to ignore if I say it wrong the whole time. I'm trying. <laughs> you guys have heard of this before. Do you want to give like a one sentence banger to what it what it is? A banger? What a phrase. What a phrase to use. Did you not know prior, Sarah? No, no, I knew. And when I found oh. this page, I'm like, yeah, I want to go into like the history behind it. Um, and also some of the debunkings because it's scientifically not right. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Go ahead, Drew. We're Go ahead, Drew. Give us your banger. Oh, <laughs> real. Jesus. Um, I don't know. Does it have to be son on mother action or? No. Why did you say it like that? <laughs> you you asked me for a banger. You got a banger. Traditionally, yes, it was all male related. That the men hate their father, want to sleep with their mother. That, yes. that was the that was the gist, but then he did expand it a little bit to be female as well. But that was the original. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's both. It can be both, but it near. Okay. Not really. And again, not real, not real. We'll get to it. But I think I don't know if you guys read slash listen to as much like true crime as I do. I probably consume mm-hmm. way too much. Hello, morbid crime junkie. All of those good things. Back in the 60s and the 70s where this idea of a serial killer was coming out and trying to be studied by the behavioral sciences units with like Quantico and FBI. Okay. Sigmund, he lived in the 19th century into the early 20th century. And this theory was kind of um, solidified around the turn of the last century. So around 1900. It was kind of still in its very early stages, but they were using it to try to understand for these really, really prolific, violent humans which 99.9% of the time were straight men did they have this complex and it turns out Mm. not so much some of them definitely had hatred towards some of their their family members but not exactly how Sigmund had outlined so I think we'll take it back and we'll figure out when was it first introduced so it was introduced in Sigmund's book called The Interpolation of Dreams in 1899 but then he coined the expression for this phenomenon that he thought he had discovered in 1910 in a paper called A Special Type of Choice of Object Made by Men. Mm. A little, <laughs> little hint there. Mm. 
From his original formation, the Oedipus Complex is a purportedly universal phase in the life of all young boys in which he grows to hate his father and wishes to have sex with his mother. It's just natural. Everyone goes through this. That was that was his theories. Everybody goes through this and it's not normal if you don't. Which <laughs> pff, okay. Um <laughs> and then- <laughs> turn the table. Yeah. <laughs> actually actually it's weird if you don't <laughs> He says that, you know, these wishes might be unconscious. They might not even be aware of it. I remember learning about this in, yeah, heap of psychology books and through different podcasts. And I knew, like, I'd heard enough to know that it was debunked, but I didn't really know why. And I really, really wanted to know why. I did not know it was debunked. Yeah. Yeah. Are you just looking at teenage boys being like, disgusting? (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Yes, we'll get to some of the more scientific studies to say why it's most likely not true and it could be it's probably true for some people very select people but it's not this you know universal phenomenon Freud kind of said it had two two aspects he expanded his theory to move away from just boys and include females but his idea was that both boys and girls would be subject to this Oedipus complex but with different results boys when they hit puberty and they they're in those teenage years they experience something called castration anxiety which is basically this idea of losing your manlyhood whether physically emotionally spiritually whatever it is it's that fear of losing your manliness but girls experience according to sigmund penis envy it's this fear and anxiety upon realizing that we do not have a penis wow so that explains everything it does it <laughs> no <laughs> my my personal philosophy is that that is so personal to each individual in general mm. that like i don't think that psychology should put generalizations on things like like you know what i mean it's like oh all girls experience this and all boys experience that and i think that's a sweeping statement on a good day but then also like what is a girl what is a boy like you know we live in this it's this whole like it's forced gender norms as well because yeah back in the time where it was like you were either a lady or a man and that's it which we've thanks to Lindsay covering intersex like gender and sex is very very different and this gender norm that we have I think our generation is finally realizing that it's it's a whole lot of malarkey. It's you be whoever you feel mm-hmm. you're right to be and you like whatever you like and you, you know. But this is back in the time where there very much was those traditional gender roles. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. everybody wanted to be a man and every man wanted to F his mom. Apparently. Yeah. Good old days, you know. We're going to jump into where did this idea come from and mm. what is what is Oedipus and why was it named after him? So first of all, I thought it sounded like Greek or Roman or kind of mythological and I was so mm-hmm. right. It is named after yeah. an ancient Greek um, mythological creature from the 5th century BCE. In this story, it goes that this character, uh, Oedipus, uh, unwittingly kills his father so he didn't mean to it's a bit like Lindsay's oh it was a jewel oops a daisy it wasn't wasn't meant to be murder but it was <laughs> and so after he kills his father he marries his mother yeah 
and this was like a popular mythological folklore and then around um 429 bce uh, there was a play that was written and performed for for literally centuries and it started to to become super duper popular in the 1800s especially around vienna and france and guess who attended that play and really identified with it our boy our boy sigmund fraud he loved it he was like i identify so he believed that this sentiment that was being displayed in this mythology and in this play had been inherited through millions of years as it took humans to evolve from apes now i'd like to stop there for a minute that was a quote from him couple problems humans did not evolve directly from apes human species are a very broad range of animals um, and we're under the genus of homo and we can't just draw a direct link straight from human being to ape that does not work mm. so mm. for fun facts apes have been on the planet for about 55 million years um and the genus of homo which we are in started between 3 to 2.5 million years ago but in this anything that we call a human there's 21 different unique types of early humans wow. um and mm-hmm. obviously we're sitting here now not all survived we are the only ones that survived and what this means was that not all humans did things the same they didn't fight hunt they didn't think they didn't you know do do everything the same but it means that you can't like just tie this way of thinking back through evolution because it doesn't really work but anyway that was my side tangent um what what got to me though so he loved the play, um, but he started to develop this theory, get this, based on his analysis of his own feelings when attending the play. <laughs> <laughs> so some man felt something <laughs> at a play and then applied it to all of you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> I just I know what our next sticker is going to be what is it going to be I felt something get a play <laughs> <laughs> I'm into this everyone must be <laughs> yeah that's exactly my thought was like he's seeing this and going oh yeah I felt that no, you're, you're weird if you don't yeah come on <laughs> it's honestly gaslighting the masses it gets worse though. So he built his theory around like his own antidotal antidote I can't say that word. Anecdotal? Yes. His own that word observations of neurotic and normal children. Um, whatever he claimed was normal. <laughs> um and he also based it on the fact that this play, so this um Ebidus Rex play, which was the story of of everything um was super popular both in ancient greek and modern audiences so he's like well people like it so they they probably think the same which i don't know if that's true because wait may i interject yes of course of course let's put our heads together what would be the modern version of this like what's a really famous movie that's really problematic that would be awful if it were applied globally to human psychology human centipede (laughs) do we just all want to eat poop no we do not want to no 
Well, you're you're weird if you don't. <laughs> you're weird if you don't. <laughs> Actually, you're weird if you don't. We evolved from apes, and they play with their poop. Play with their poop. So clearly, we all want to eat poop. So <laughs> you're weird if you don't. <laughs> yeah, you're you're in the not normal children's study, Sarah. Sorry. Oh my uh, god. Drew and I will be on the other side of the line. <laughs> I feel like you have a more tentative link with that theory. Than his own. <laughs> 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 At least apes play with poo. <laughs> you know, fun fact, let's bring it home. That movie is the reason why I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> uh, so I felt something in yeah, that. Yeah, you really felt something. I felt wow. something. So that means everybody else did. I don't, We need to put so many warnings on this episode. Holy shit. <laughs> Wow. This yeah. is this is depraved. So reading all of this, I'm like, sir, this sounds like you have an issue that you have not internally worked out with yourself and your psyche. Like this is a you mm. you issue. But I yes. was like, okay, maybe he had proof. Uh, and he did. He had one case study. Just one. <laughs> uh, and as a scientist, I feel like one is not enough, but I was giving benefit of the doubt. So I'm like, okay, let's hear your case study. What have you got? So he wrote this whole um, case study slash it became a book called The Analysis of a Phobia in a Five-Year-Old Boy. And this was from 1909. And so okay. he did it. Did an analysis of fears on this little boy that he had dubbed Little Hands. And so... Poor <laughs> Little Hands. Um, he showed that... There was a relation between Hans' fears. He had extreme fears of horses. Um, and he related that back to a fear of his father, which was deprived from, oh, sorry, derived from external factors. So it, he thought that the birth of this kid's sister um, and his own internal factors, like the desire to replace his father and sleep with his mother, was what was making this boy afraid of horses. <laughs> what (laughs) what (laughs) yeah this little boy's afraid of horses and he's like yeah it's because you want to kill your dad and sleep with your mom (laughs) (laughs) it's not because this kid can get kicked in the face and knocked into oblivion by a fucking (laughs) (laughs) honestly i'm afraid of horses like this poor kid. Anyway, so the little boy himself, Hans, he was, like, unable to relate this feeling of horses to fearing his father through, like, multiple sessions. He was like, I no, no. Like, they were trying to make tentative connections. Could not. And so as the treating psychiatrist, uh, Fraud was able to say that this is his direct quote from his notes – Hans had to be told many things that he could not easily say himself and that he had to be presented with thoughts which he had so far shown no signs of possessing. And I'm like, so that sounds like complete coercion, like coercion. This is like literally like three seconds ago where you were like, I don't think that human centipede applies to me. And I was like, yes, it does. And you're weird if it doesn't. doesn't. (laughs) Pretty much. This poor kid. That is so sad, but also I will be calling you little Hans. I I had no idea this science, if you want to call it that, was so flimsy. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I thought we, we should highlight some criticisms for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So one, there is very little scientific evidence to support this complex at all in male, female, non-binary children. Very, very, very little evidence, if any, at all. Number two, psychiatrist Jeffrey Lieb- Lieberman has highlighted in a lot of his works that he's like Sigmund Fraud and his followers resisted actually subjecting and testing their theories. They avoided at all costs this scientific verification process they just it was not evidence-based and it's like evidence-based investigations in disciplines like cognitive psychology which do a lot of different um different trials and human factors but anyway so all of this work in cognitive psychology leave all of sigmund freud's ideas pretty much unsupported or contradicted completely by evidence wow three there's something called the freudian cover-up which i thought was fascinating i've never heard of this oh hold your butts ready (laughs) yeah okay hold my butt hold your butt (laughs) hold your butt this is the claim that fraud intentionally ignored evidence that his patients were victims of childhood sexual abuse and misrepresent misrepresented the abuse as these incestuous desires in the 70s there was a social worker called florence uh, rush who wrote that fraud seduction theory which came early in his career correctly attributed his parents memories of childhood trauma to the patient's family often only the father implying that there was a widespread sexual abuse of children and parents which was very common in the society in which he wait so is that saying that freud was projecting his own trauma onto his patients I think a little bit of both. So there's a theory that possibly maybe he himself had experienced some trauma, um, Mm. but also that he was seeing really what was childhood trauma being evident. And it was, it was almost too hard to consider the alternative that these children were being abused. And it was easier to say it was right. You know, it's part of the human psychology. It was easier on his own subconscious. Florence goes on to write that she thinks that the discovery of the abuse made fraud really uncomfortable, and he he abandoned this theory of the fact that there was widespread abuse. So he started working on this early on, thinking that this was a prevalent, common thing, which in some right. societies it is, um, right. especially before we had you know protective rights of children. He invented the. Uh, Oedipus complex basically to replace it because the complex allowed him to attribute the stories of these childhood sexual abuse and childhood traumas back to the children themselves so it's basically victim blaming uh and he he had like kind of reimagined that these stories were fantasies of hidden desires rather than factual descriptions of trauma that had happened oh wow yeah yeah so florence rush basically argues that he covered up illegal and immoral sexual abuse by undermining the projections of his own patients, um, and he did so particularly to female patients later on in his How much of modern psychology still uses Freud's teachings? I think almost zero at all. I don't think it's something you... Yeah. I think some of his teachings, such as, like, development of ego and and things like that, there's some that have Mm. links to real psychological phenomenons and things like that but this theory no not at all it's almost taught as like a don't do this this is not evidence-based and you know how would you develop a hypothesis exactly yeah Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, so no one believes this quack anymore. Hopefully not. I think there's been reports of some very few psychiatrists that still support it, but it's it's not something that is like, you know, recognized in most in most countries as an actual phenomenon mm-hmm. or psychological thing that is happening. Wow. I never knew any of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was fascinating. And the one thing I wanted to finish up on was there's like one tiny piece of evidence which maybe could be construed to say that it could be maybe right. Mm-hmm. My God, you guys are going to laugh. That tiny, tiny little bit of evidence that maybe you could argue it implies an Oedipus complex is this study that was conducted at Glasgow University. And the study demonstrated that men and women were twice as likely to choose a partner with the same eye color as the parent of the sex that they are attracted to. But I mean, come on. First of all, there's only so many eye colors, like what (laughs) maybe five if you're getting really creative and eye color prevalence so like your your likelihood to have an eye color completely changes depending on where you are in the world what culture you are in genetics Mm. basically i love that too because like brown eye color is a dominant Mm. allele yes and so it's like you know eventually everybody in the world will have brown eyes so eventually that'll be a true statement (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the stretching. The only thing that I want right now in this world is to hear how Drew is going to define fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're going to be disappointed. (laughs) You're not going to define your term? Oh, I'm going to define it, but I'm not going to. It's not a great definition. Then I won't be disappointed. We'd honestly like call the police if you didn't define (laughs) acting weird. (laughs) Something's wrong. Someone's got a gun to his head. (laughs) (laughs) You won't define the topic. That's how we know. That's how we know if it's you or an imposter. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, today I ended up on the topic of fan fiction. Uh, which, as we said before, we briefly kind of discussed during Sarah's topic of the Holy Grail, where we, you know, I kind of think it, that is the first example of fan fiction. The wiki article doesn't agree with that, but I, I agree. Okay. I agree. That's probably the first like example of fan fiction because it kind of fits fits what I would consider fan fiction. But yeah. Before we start, can you give me some examples of fan fiction that you like or have read or you know have seen? Just just give me one or two examples of fan fiction. My Immortal. My Immortal, of course. Uh, our favorite. What's My Immortal? Oh, we've talked about this. <laughs> it's the Harry Potter fan Yeah, fiction. it's... Oh. A woman wrote Harry yeah, Potter yeah, fan yeah, fiction. Yeah, yeah. My Chemical Romance shows up a ton. She cries tears of blood because she's very emo. Yeah. She sticks um, up her middle finger at preps. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. I don't think I've ever read fan fiction. Have you read Fifty Shades of Grey? No. Oh, well, I was going to say, oh, you that's read fan, fan fiction? Yeah, that's fan fiction. Is it? Really? Yeah, 100% fan fiction. Wow. Did not know that. Okay. Well, there you go. That's the first little factoid. Here we go. Let me define my topic, because that's what I do. Fan fiction is fiction written by fans. There you go. That's all it is. Ugh. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> what, you wanted a better definition? Well, we'll get into better definitions. Okay. 
I mean, the name kind of explains it all. It's, it's fiction written by fans. But the one key thing about fan fiction is that it's unauthorized. So it's not mm. authorized by the original author. And of course, is based on an existing work of fiction. So the author uses copyright characters, settings, or other intellectual property from the original creator as a basis for their own writing. So fan fictions range from a couple of sentences to entire novels based on the dedication of the fan work and retains the creator's characters and settings while also sometimes adding their own. So it's not just like you're completely copying something, you're, you're adding to it and you're making your, you're making your own characters, yeah. how you're even inserting yourself, things like that. It's, it's more than just like rote copying of, of a creator's work. You're actually putting more into it. Do some authors not like it? We will get into that okay. <laughs> because some authors sue over it. They don't like it so much. See, I think I would be honored. Yeah. I think I'd be like, you know, you do you. Yeah. In a, uh, yeah, no, I think I would. <laughs> really? And, and I think yeah, I'd be creeped quote out. Quote me on that. Quote me on that when I'm a published author. <laughs> as long as there's no weird, as long as there's no like weird sex stuff happening to my main characters. <laughs> well, well, you've you've already you've already run into the problem. There's going to be weird sex God stuff. Damn it. Okay, there yeah. Is. There. Is. <laughs> but, but even more than that, what if someone writes a better story than you did? Oh, I'd I'd be happy with that. That's fine. You really? You'd be happy with that? Yeah, good on them. I'd be I'd, I'd be a little it. I'd be a little miffed at that. I think. I would want to collaborate. I'd be like me, you, next book, shake hands, here we go. I'm not that nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely not with you on that one. Yeah. That's so delightful, Sarah. You're such a sweetheart. <laughs> so the problem with fan fiction is that it may infringe on the original author's copyright, depending on the jurisdiction or on the legal question as to whether it qualifies as fair use or origin fair use of original material. So I don't know, fair fair use is is so confusing because there's no clean definition as to what is fair use so it's there's such a thin line between something being copyright infringement and fair use that it's it's so hard to say one thing is one thing isn't because there really is no good definition what i find very interesting about fan fiction is that authors sometimes respond to fan fiction with with indifference they don't care encouragement mm-hmm. they really love it or just outright rejection they're, they're they freaking hate it i know uh i think we've got think that covered yeah, we do have that covered. Is that J.K. Rowling? Yeah, that's one of them. She I feel is like she has vibes. Of not a fan. Not a fan of fan a fiction. Nasty woman. Some authors will respond with legal action towards some fan fiction if they think it really infringes on on their copyright. So the term fan fiction comes to use in the 20th century, actually. Um, This is when, as copyright laws were beginning to differentiate between stories using established characters that were authorized by the copyright holders versus those that were not. So basically fan fiction was being like labeled as this isn't authorized. So it's like fan fiction. So, um, so fan fiction itself is defined by being related to its subject's universe and either staying within the bounds of that, but is not canon, or else breaching, like branching outside of the original universe into alternative universes. So basically it's like, it's not canon, but it's in-universe, or it could be, you know, not canon, but outside-universe kind of thing. So it's, it's yeah. you know, it's, it's both of those things, and I think that's, that's a really cool way to go about fanfiction, is, the, you know, extending beyond the universe that, that the, the author created, but, you know, that's, that's just me. Yeah. Um, 
So material can be considered uh, fanon or like fan canon to separate it from what is actually canon from the original creator. So, you know, there's a lot of like, what do they call it? Like uh, mind canon or, or... Yeah, head canon. Head canon, that's the one. Um, yeah. Where it's it's like, oh, in my head, they, they totally hooked up. That's great. But, you know, <laughs> or something along those lines. That makes sense. All of my knowledge on this subject comes from the super hulock fans in the early Tumblr days. From the Tumblr days? Yeah. So super hulock was a combination of Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock, which had all mm-hmm. become very popular <laughs> in that span of time. And so the super fans of those three shows threw around their headcanon like you know little fan fiction illustrations and ideas of all of them and all of those characters all together Mm -hmm. and that's how I learned all of it and I had to block every keyword associated with every one of those three shows because they were super fucking annoying (laughs) (laughs) the actual term fan fiction has been used in print as early as 1939 and that, that was its earliest known citation. And here's what's very funny about that. It was, be, it was used as a disparaging way to refer to amateur science fiction. So basically they said there's pro-fiction and there's fan fiction. Being, pro-fiction being oh. very good like fiction written. And then bad fiction that's being written is fan fiction. Yeah, but it's still that person's own ideas. Yeah, I mean, I just wouldn't consider like my immortal well-written. So like... I can see the di- like I can see the difference between the two. So the term uh, fan fiction also appears in the 1944 Fancyclopedia, which uh, which is which is an encyclopedia of fan terms. Um, and in the that's so cute. <laughs> 1944, they had the Fancyclopedia, oh, which is crazy to me. Little fan words. It was hard times. Yeah. people needed escapism. Yeah. Right. Um, so fan fiction is defined as fiction about fans or sometimes about prose and occasionally bringing in some famous characters from stories. It's not a great definition. I, I don't really <laughs> particularly like that one, but I mean, that's, that's how they defined it in the, the, the fan, the fanopedia, the fancyclopedia. So, so, uh, now we get into my favorite part, which is examples of fan fiction. Um, now I will say that the wiki article does talk quite a bit about like, very, you know, quite a few different fan fictions, and I really can't go into all of them, but I did pull out a few highlights from the examples because I feel like they were pretty cool. So where we begin is before copyright was actually a thing. Um, So these first few examples are um, actually come from Shakespeare, uh, where the plays Romeo and Juliet, Much Ado About Nothing, Othello, As You Like It, and Winter's Tale were all based on relatively recent fiction by other authors at the time. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. Oh, they became way more famous. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's... Go Shakespeare. It's kind of like those artists where, you know, you have a popular song that's like, wasn't written by the original artist and they just like, Like someone performed it. Yeah. Yeah. Cover. Exactly. And the cover gets more popular. It's the exact same thing. A sequel to Don Quixote there was actually a sequel to Don Quixote, but there was one written actually before the sequel came out, um, which is another example of early fan fiction. So basically they, they had someone wrote a sequel to Don Quixote and then the actual author of Don Quixote wrote the same, not the same thing, but wrote a, uh, also wrote a sequel. So there are two sequels out there to Don Quixote, which I found very interesting. Wow. 
Yeah. So now they actually make a big jump. We move to the 19th century from here, um, which is, I, I don't know, to me a big jump. So I think, I don't know, I still think Sarah's example is a pretty good example of, of fan fiction. But uh, we're in the 19th century now, um, where there's a hell of a lot of fan, fan fiction because it was a lot of writings were not initially authorized by the original author. Uh, so the first example is Bram Stoker's um, Dracula. Dracula! Yeah. I knew it! I was going to say that, but I couldn't remember. Oh my god! Yeah, the depictions in the translated adaptation of Powers of Darkness. So Dracula was, was uh, basically what? fan fiction. What did he base it on? Or what did he base pa- it off? The powers, powers of-, of Darkness. Yeah, Powers of Darkness. Oh, that is really cool. But Dracula is such a classic. Exactly. Okay, that's, I like. That's... I have read fan fiction then. You have read fan fiction? Because I've read classic, these classic novels and stuff. Exactly. You can't dress it up by calling it classic novel. <laughs> you read fan fiction. You read fan fiction. <laughs> Fine, guys. I read fan fiction. Oh, my God. So one thing I, I found very funny was Jane Austen. Uh, she remains one of the most popular works to make unauthorized depictions of. So, like, everyone makes Jane Austen, like, novels, basically. Makes their own versions of Jane Austen novels. Yeah, I've seen some videos of people, like, reading out saucy manuscripts around, like, Pride and Prejudice, how it should have gone, and things like that. Yep, there's tons and tons of... That's also fan fiction, one could say. One notable fan fiction being Old Friends and New Fancies was a very famous fan fiction from based off of Jane Austen. Oh, I totally thought you were going to say Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, Pride, Prejudice and Zombies? zombies. Yeah. I mean, that's a fan fiction, yeah. But like... It is, I read a lot of fan fiction and I had no idea. (laughs) What an absolute drongo I am. I'm so sorry. That's fine. You just didn't know. I didn't Um, know. I thought it was like, the you know how there's online places where people write? I thought that was kind of... And yeah. I was wrong. So thank you for teaching me, Drew. You're welcome. Um, so other examples include stories involving Sherlock Holmes. There are tons and tons of stories involving Sherlock Holmes that, that are fan fiction. Um, stories based on War of the Worlds, uh, The Time Machine, um, to even fan fictions based off of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. There's a very fam- famous um, fan fiction based off of that. And then there's a lot of... Um, Fan fiction based off of Jane Eyre. So there's just tons and tons of, of fan fiction just everywhere based off of these very famous stories. I think it's natural to art, though, because people yeah. are artistic and they want to try, like, they are inspired by other people's work. Like, there is no original right. art, really, because everybody's inspired from something else. What we view as fan fiction now was from, from the Star Trek fandom. And this was first started by, I always get this word wrong. Is it fans, fanzines, like fan magazines? Zines. Fanzines? I think it's zines. zines. I yeah. Zines, I guess so. So fanzines published in the 1960s. And these fanzines, uh, like Spockanalia, uh, oh, contained fan fictions so written by fans for fans. <laughs> yeah. It is so cute. <laughs> What, Spockanalia? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but these, these, uh, these, these fanzines were actually, um, people would get them published and then they would sell them at conventions and things oh. to recoup some of the costs of actually producing them. So this was, this was um, 
like a, a little bit of a business, but it wasn't it wasn't like there to make money. This was just to, to recoup some of the costs. It's more like a non for profit. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what it was. It was, it was just kind of it's a passion project. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I found super interesting about fan fictions is that it's completely dominated by female writers, with 83% of Star Trek fan fiction written by women wow. and in 1970 and up to 90% written in 1973. So wow. it's, it's hugely female dominated, and some scholars believe it filled the need for narratives outside of the boundaries of the official sources. Where, you know, you're oh. getting perspectives that are outside of that. You're getting main characters that are outside of what's typically presented in media. Mm. You're, getting, you're getting different perspectives on things. It's all, yeah. it's all there to, to, you know, fulfill a, a uh, narrative that wasn't really being shown. And so I think I really agree yeah. with them on that. Yeah. It's like this was meant to, like, be fiction from a perspective that just wasn't being shown. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I totally believe that. Take matters into your own hands. Exactly. exactly. Take matters into your own hands. Now we move on to our favorite thing, the internet, uh, which is literally filled to the brim with fan fiction <laughs> because it is so, so much easier to publish and so much easier to share amongst fans. So <laughs> listen to this. According to one estimate, fan fiction comprises one third of all content about books on the web. Jeez. One third oh of all God. content. That is a lot well, of it's fan fiction. Like free advertising. Like, why would an author, except if you know, maybe you took some good characters and I don't know, turned them into Nazis or something. But like, aside from that, like it's free advertising. People are like spooking your work in their work, right? Like that's huge. That's yeah. a massive amount of people. I just I wonder how many people go from fan fiction to buying something i don't know i guess i guess it depends on because i feel like fan fiction is written like you have to have the context of the book itself or the work itself before you read the fan fiction that is true in my head is because it's so on the line between you know copyright and and fair use so i don't know Mm. it's 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 tough a bit of a gray market one would say a bit of a (laughs) you start with me the original fan fiction archives were non-commercial hand tended and uh like and fandom or topic specific so they were all very very small and low-key and you know you had to be you had to know someone to really get into them kind of a thing um but then in 1998 the site fanfiction.net came online which allowed anyone to upload content to any fandom and really tried to centralize fandom content in general and it became very very popular based off of that because you know that's just where you could centralize everything and it was like you didn't have to know anyone you didn't have to know anything really you just had to you just could just upload which was Mm -hmm. super good for for fan fiction and of course one of the most popular modern fan fictions as i said 50 shades of gray uh which was originally written as a fan fiction for the twilight series and i believe the twilight oh. series was also a fan fiction but i, I don't know about that one wow i think, I think it might have been i think it's a fan fiction of a fan fiction as i said there are literally millions of different fan fiction out there that of any topic you could think of and any deranged thing you might want to find you could probably find it <laughs> um, <laughs> deranged <laughs> thank you internet Thank you, Internet. Another very popular form of fan fiction comes to us from Japan uh, with independently published manga and novels uh, known as uh, doujinshi. 
Uh, so many of these doujinshi are based on existing manga or anime or video game franchises where uh, manga authors form doujin groups that produce their own doujinshi. Um, often these, gro these groups um, were used by artists to make a professional debut, but this kind of changed a little bit as these groups sort of became more, you know, school, school clubs, you know, for your after school programs, things like that. So, um, but, but doujinshi as, as, a, as a whole is a very, very popular form of fan media um, that is, that it, it can be just as, as good looking as regular, like the regular media, but um, it's right, definitely. Like you wouldn't know the difference. It's so Yeah, you wouldn't know the difference. Mm. Exactly, exactly. But um, that's a very popular form of, of fan fiction. I love that as a labor of love. Like, let me take yeah. this fan idea that I have and really make it professional looking. Mm hmm. And the, as I said, it's a lot of a lot of the very start, like people starting out in their career kind of use those um, those mangas as a uh, way to sort of boost their career and really show, hey, I'm a good artist. Like, let me draw for you kind of a thing. So yeah. that's that's yeah. I think is really great. Um, so the wiki article then goes into a ton of different terminology from fan fictions, which I found hilarious because there were so many great little like <laughs> very funny terms like fix it fic, which was a a fan fiction used to fix what is actually canon. So if something <laughs> is like not like if the fan is unhappy with how it's written, they're just going to rewrite it wow. and be like, oh, this is actually happening. Um, but I really didn't want to dive too deep into the terminology because I really want uh, the history is more what interested me. Mm. And then there's also a very long discussion about legality of fan fiction. And as I said, it's a, it's a huge debate because it's such a fine line between fair use and copyright. Um, so I think it just comes down to if you are publishing fan fiction for profit, just be careful because a lot of companies and authors will not care about your creativity and will see it as an opportunity to mm. sue. So it's mm. just it's you just got to be careful about it. Um, so, yeah, I just I wanted to take a dive into the world of fan fiction and it turned out to be pretty dang interesting. Yeah, it was super fun. I can't believe how PG that was. Yeah, I, I didn't really want to <laughs> really go into like. <laughs> Messed up fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rule 34. Is yours PG, Lindsay? Mm, yeah. Maybe. You know what? Maybe. 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 Depends what kind of mood we're in. Alrighty. I am very keen to see why Lindsay said that like your topic and Drew's topic are similar. Is the book in, was it Skyrim? that you were talking Skyrim. about? Skyrim. Yeah, right. is that a fan fiction in Skyrim? Or what oh, is, what's well, the dealio? It's, <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe this PG at all. <laughs> I think yeah. we're going to immediately... It's soft porn, pretty much, in the yeah. game. I don't know how else Ooh. to describe it. So when you're playing Skyrim, you wander around this world, and there are hundreds of books that you can pick up, and they have real text in them, real writing, and there was a writing team from Bethesda that was dedicated to writing books for this world, and this is one of such books. Okay. Are they, like, full books, or are they, like, little short mini books? Well, there are a few pages. Yeah. Some of them are pretty long, actually. Wow. I actually have a set of volumes on my mantle that are printed bound versions of all of the lore books in Skyrim. So I actually have a physical copy of the Lusty Argonian made. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Does it have pictures? 
No, th- no. <laughs> so, in Skyrim, this is actually not at all important to the the story that I'm going to tell. But in Skyrim, Argonian is a race of character or class. Or sorry, wow, that was a bunch of just buzzwords. It is a race <laughs> that you can play as that is a lizard person. So the okay. lusty Argonian maid is just like a sexy lizard woman and. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, the it. guy is like cheating on his wife with the maid, and she's like, "Why do you want me to knead the bread in the bedroom?" Like, <laughs> Your loaf of bread won't fit in my oven. Oh my god! I want to read it now. There's a couple of volumes, but I wanted to try something new today. So that's actually okay. not where I'm going to start the story. It started in a different racy place. I was taking a shower today, and I was oh. shaving my armpits. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a pastime that I enjoy so much. Really? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing freer about a smooth armpit. You know, I really wanted to grow out my hair and dye it, but I couldn't decide on... For the same reason I don't dye the hair on my head, I couldn't decide on a color that would always <laughs> look good with my outfits. Yeah, I thought... After learning more about the history of why we shave our armpits as women in the Western world, because not every culture shaves their armpits. No. Even learning about the history, I am no more confused and no more justified in my actions. It is something that we just do, right? So I had actually sought to figure out why. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. A long, a long cry from Cocoa Puffs, but also just really funny that we all ended up on sexual things after Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> <laughs> We're all Fergie amazing. today. <laughs> <laughs> milky, milky Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> so, yeah, again, another disappointing spoiler. You are not going to walk away from this understanding why we shave our armpits, but I will tell you that... As early as the 1915, there were advertisements. It's actually kind of interesting. In 1915 and the early teens of the 20th century, adverts kind of took a spin that was not just like flashy and, hey, look at this, buy this product, it'll solve all your problems. They took a more insidious approach sometimes disguised as PSAs, like I am Mm -hmm. actually instructing you something that is very helpful in your life, something you may not know I am educating you. And this product, you poor stupid thing, addresses (laughs) the thing that you definitely are not aware of. Was it the Gillette, um, Gillette, Gillette company? Gillette. Or the the precursor to that company? Because I remember reading about how like shaving your body as a woman really was not that popular at all until the turn of the century because they realized that there was a market that they could market to and make 50% more profits. I they just encouraged believe- women to shave their legs, shave, shave whatever, just use a razor for something. Yes. So actually it is, that is a great segue. Prior to World War I, women did not shave. And why would you? Like I get the... Especially, like, the men with the beards, I mean, it goes through fashion, but also through, is it safe? Like, if you're working in an industrial environment, you don't want to have a beard too long, things like that. Whereas, like, with women, it's just like, why? Apart from you like the way it feels or looks or whatever it is, it's all just, it's it's very socially constructed. Yes. And the, the 
articles that I was reading, because actually there was no wiki article directly dedicated. I actually ended up here because I ended on leg shaving. And then from Mm -hmm. leg shaving, I personally was like, hey, I want to learn about armpit shaving and there's nothing here. So I actually had to use my Northwestern credentials to use the library (laughs) (laughs) and find some academic papers. So I read a couple academic papers. (laughs) Thank Uh, you, Northwestern. Thank you. Thank you, Northwestern, for your credentials. But yeah, the, uh, some of the things that I was reading were pointing to the fact that prior to World War One, women's clothing was very well concealing. You know, there was no mm. reason to shave these parts of yourself that people weren't really going to see. Uh, yeah. But I will get into why we would ever, you know, here I am saying, oh, we don't see them, so it's fine. Well, why would we even have that expectation to begin with? That if mm-hmm. I did see them, I would want them to be shaved kind of a thing. Yeah. So 1915 to 1919 has been dubbed the Great Underarm Campaign. (laughs) I was kind of thinking of those memes that are like, that was my 9-11. Like, this was my World War I. That was my Great Underarm Campaign. Oh, my God. My World War I was the Great Underarm. Damn it. (laughs) The Great Underarm Campaign. Did they do the insidious ads of, like, it's hygienic, you need to shave because of germs? They were not even, they were not that well-founded at all. Guys, put some thought into it. You are going to answer your own question. In our business chat, I have put several ads. Okay. And I'm going to send them to you right now. One of them is a picture, so you get the tone. And the other ones are a couple quotations. And I want each of you to do your best 1915 (laughs) advert voice. And I'll read whichever ones are left behind. So whichever (laughs) one of you wants to go first. Oh, my God. I got this. Oh, oh my God. Okay. I'm going to do the middle one. Okay. I'll do the first one then. Okay. You go first, Drew. Some address in modern dancing combined to make necessary the removal of objectionable hair. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) And you see the way that's built, right? It's like, these are facts. Summer dress, modern dancing combined. It is necessary to remove objectionable hair. (laughs) That's insane. That's amazing. The woman of fashion says the underarm must be smooth as the face. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sarah. And thank you, thank the you. woman of fashion. The, wo- <laughs> <laughs> the, woman of- the woman of fashion. <clears throat> the full charm of the decollete costume is attained when the underarm is perfectly smooth. Oh. Bastards. You cannot... I didn't know what a decollete costume was, so I had to look it up. It's basically if you wear like a strapless or low cut. I don't know why those are the same thing, but it's like uh, a type of shirt that shows off your armpits, obviously. Oh, okay, okay. And finally, the fastidious woman today must have immaculate underarms if she is to be unembarrassed. (laughs) Unembarrassed. Forced like peer embarrassment. It's like, well, we're going to laugh at you if you don't buy our products. And, and like I said, this is actually just very informational and instructional. You don't want to be embarrassed? Let me help you, idiot. Shave your armpits. <laughs> Shave your armpits, you <laughs> fucking man. I hate society. I knew you would. That's why I said welcome to my dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. So surprisingly, actually, or maybe unsurprisingly, is a lot of these ads are targeted at upper class women, uh, Western Mm. upper class women. And a lot of these ads 
nearly 63% of the ads in this great underarm campaign towards the end were this instructional style. And they appeared in Harper's Bazaar and McCall, which was another magazine at the time. And so this is absolutely not the beginning of shaving your armpits and shaving your legs at all, actually. But it is in modern society, part of a push as to why we do it so often and why Mm -hmm. it is just considered the social norm. This was really, and like you said, it was also like, you know, razors and everything can now sell to women as well as men. Mm -hmm. And if we really push that this is necessary, then people will do it. Yeah. We're just inventing this fact right now that it is necessary to do this. So now do it. Yeah. Of course, being part of the upper class expectation it's just kind of the way that society likes to go that the upper class kind of set the pace for fashion and then the, the lower classes will follow suit. Well, it's that classic um, Miranda Priestley from the devil wears Prada quote about the Silurian blue and how it was on high fashion runways. And so it trickles down into like the cheap dumpster bins of your, your $5 bargain. Yes. Yes. So these women are being bombarded with at least towards the end, 30 ads a year in these periodical magazines, um, which to me, to me seems like a lot, because if you imagine you buy a magazine every month, that means that every magazine you read for the year is going to have at least two or three ads to get rid of your armpit hair. I would have moved in. Yeah. I mean, we still do. (laughs) It's why I bought retinol cream or whatever it is, because it's like, this is the only way to prevent aging. And I'm like, okay, take my money. (laughs) Thank you for instructing me. I'm stupid. (laughs) Really though? Yeah. No, that's how I would feel. I would feel gently guided. Like, oh yes, thank you for teaching me modern etiquette. This is what I will do to conduct myself in society because this magazine is the voice of society. Yeah. Sorry, Sarah, I didn't mean to call you stupid. No, no. (laughs) I didn't think you were. (laughs) I I am, though, when it comes to advertising, I try very hard not to be allured and persuaded. But some of it, I'm just like, okay, I give in. I give in. I give in. in. There's definitely, for me, a pressure of... You know, as I get older and I can feel wrinkles developing like around my eyes, there's definitely yes. a part of me that's like, I should research wrinkle cream. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm not going to mm. do that. <laughs> Why do I feel that I have to do that? Exactly. It's just your eyes. It's, it's You've been alive long enough to have some creases. Like, that's a great thing. It is, I, right. It is. And, you know, I had said once a long time ago, especially struggling with depression, that I hope that one day I have laugh lines on my face. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful goal. I think it's evidence that you've laughed so much in your life that now you have a permanent part of your smile all the time. I think it's beautiful. (laughs) But like I said, this did not always set the tone, but at the same time, it was always the tone. It was always the expectation. This is what I'm saying. I'm confused in the shower by myself. I don't know why I'm doing this, and I don't feel why any more motivated. This? Why am I doing this? Whoa, I'm doing this. As early as 1874, there was a record that basically said in, in no uncertain terms, the presence of such hair is a character defect um, <gasps> oh. among the middle class. 
so scathing. Especially damning if you are an upper class woman. Mm, it looks like you. Class. Yes, you hang out too long with the riffraff, and that's why you have armpit hair right now. <laughs> it's, insane. it's insane, though. Like, armpit hair serves a purpose, right? Because it's meant to help hi- like house a biofilm ecosystem to help break down bacteria, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's interesting the way that our bodies evolved. Well, we didn't evolve from apes, like you said before, but it is interesting <laughs> the way that humans developed and the places that we need to keep warm or the places that we have hair. Um, in the same year, 1874, this hilarious news article was talking about a woman who died of heartbreak after a healthy hair growth on her face. Oh, Oh no. <laughs> I'm sure that's not how she died. <laughs> that is so sad. She died of heartbreak oh because my she had, because a hairy she had face. hair on her face. As yeah. somebody who has to like pluck and shave my chin constantly because of PCOS, I feel so bad for that lady. Her hormones were just off the charts. It's just natural. It's just hair. And what's funny is I, I was originally thinking to myself that we would discuss kind of the stigma, but then I thought I, I want to use their stigma instead. Instead of getting our answers, I asked them, 1800s, late 1800s, what's your stigma about this hair? Oh, sorry, 1914? Yeah. In a word, superfluous. <laughs> Any- <laughs> not on top of your head it's superfluous you don't need it (laughs) just get rid of it you don't need it oh my goodness did you find did you find anything in your readings about like pubic hair because i feel like that was taboo back in the day to discuss but also how did we get here Oh my God, Sarah, your segues are just so perfectly timed. I sure fucking did it. And that's where I'm going next. Because I was, if once I saw the 1874 facts, I was like, how far can we push it? I'm going to tell you a little bit about Renaissance hair removal. Oh shit. Yes, please. (laughs) Was it, please tell me they were using some really poisonous shit. Oh, Sarah, you're (laughs) on it. Let me warm you up first. It used to be in vogue to remove all of your eyelashes and eyebrows and have an egg-shaped naked head because they thought you would look more like a baby. <laughs> like a full baby. But the problem was, was the time where like women would pluck their hairline to make their head seem bigger. Yes, Do you remember like, this? <laughs> Looking egg-shaped was, like, the thing to do. Because you looked like an innocent baby. (laughs) Oh, my god! the problem was that your hair, when you pluck your eyebrows too much, doesn't grow back all the way. So Mm -hmm. they had to start using rodent hair for fake eyebrows. No. Yes. No. These poor women were tortured <laughs> by society. I can't imagine that they shaped them. I'm <laughs> just imagining <laughs> <these> <laughs> <little> <laughs> rectangles of 
taped, taped rat fur to your eyes. No, wow. Oh, no. Particularly about pubic hair, art at the time, if you think of like a Renaissance era painting and maybe even the one of like Aphrodite coming out of the, oh, sorry, Oh, the one of Aphrodite coming out of the shell and everything like that. Like, yes. oh, actually, her hair covers herself. Basically, women are hairless. Naked mm-hmm. women in Renaissance paintings are hairless. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I never. Most of the time. Yes, that never occurred to me. Like, I that never registered in my head. But because of this, men's expectations were that this is the way that women looked. Oh, for God's sake. Well, if you haven't seen a naked woman until you're yeah. married, you're going to go your whole life thinking that this is what women look like. And so then women are like, oh, I'm so sorry to tell you, I actually look like you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so there were a few reports along the way of men being so disgusted on their wedding night that they couldn't get it up because it was not what they expected. They couldn't consummate the marriage. <laughs> get wrecked that's so (laughs) fragile (laughs) like men especially because women aren't crazy hairy it's not like you're looking at I know you know like it's it's crazy it's very mild absolutely hilarious to me how, how fucking fragile some some people can be but regardless to kind of like keep pace with these paintings i mean i guess that's kind of like the beauty standard is these like romanticized paintings women did remove their pubic hair and the hair all over their body so here's a recipe for you 1532 oh good it's gonna be real good boil together no not lead actually okay 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 boil together a solution of one pint of arsenic and an eighth of a pint of quick lime Go to a bath or a hot room, smear the medicine over the area. When the skin feels hot, wash it quickly so the flesh doesn't come off. <laughs> flesh doesn't come no. off. Oh, no. Oh, this is hot. I better wash God. it off. <laughs> as soon as it starts to burn, your flesh could come That's off. Come off. <laughs> Isn't quicklime like the classic murderous trope of they use quicklime to to put over bodies to break them down. Is that right? It's calcium calcium oxide. Yeah. And that's not good for your body, for, for organic material. No. So another recipe was cat poop and vinegar. Oh, God. No, this is someone's <laughs> having a mean joke on these ladies. <laughs> no, no. And you know where these recipes come from actually this is what drew brought up in another episode they come from those book of secrets or recipe books that people would keep in their houses oh i think oh, that was the follow okay. that recipe it's what people did remember it was like home remedies like some of them were for like face powder i feel like that Yay. was the episode where they came there was up. an arsenic face powder for sure but another one I, this was very vague, and, and I can only assume what this is. A distillation of swallows. <gasps> hmm. No. Just boil, it, boil down some boil birds. Bird. Just get- <laughs> 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 Wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> bird paste. 
<laughs> I thought I thought that was literally just like a, a metaphor for what it was going to be. No, it's literally just boiling a bird. Boil down some birds. Boil <laughs> down some swallows. <laughs> Good. Slap it on your pubic area. Away yeah. you go. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, there was an attempt at some kind of scientific backing. So, Sarah, I, I'm glad that you brought up you, you, the hazards of having a lot of hair and things like that. But actually, you were way off the mark. The reason that we Ooh. should remove hair on women or that why hair is unsightly on women is actually because it relates to an imbalance of the humors. You see oh. men back to the good old humors. That's right. Yeah. I, I really thought yeah, that you yeah. would remember that men are hot and dry and women oh, are wet and cold. <laughs> and Damn, we're not dead bodies. Well, we're wet and cold. So, so yeah, if a woman has too much hair on them, then that brings their humors over towards the male side. Oh, and that could be infertile. God. This mm. is quite funny, though, because... Like, if you do have a hormonal imbalance, not humors, but a hormonal imbalances, like with PCOS or with other, like, endometriosis and things like that, you mm-hmm. can be infertile because of things that have happened. But it's not it's not because your hair. The hair is a byproduct of, of yeah, it you know, is, hormones. I, I think that it is very – kind of in the same way that people observed human behavior and then made the Zodiac about it, like personality (laughs) types or the Myers-Briggs. It's kind of like, I feel that way about the humors a little bit. Like we observe that there are hormones and hormonal imbalances could mean something, you know, like that has to do with your fertility. And then the way that those hormones also kind of show themselves can be hair, like can with a huge asterisk, you know. It's a symptom basically. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's, it's very flimsy. It's not science directly, mm-hmm. but it's an attempt to describe the world around you with a metric that you're familiar with. So, mm-hmm. you know, That's I at true. least give them they were, Yeah, they were doing their best with the humors. They really were stretching by the end of it, though, with like the black bile, all that good stuff. <laughs> of right. Of course. Yeah, so another story that I came across was a... Uh, book called La Lozanda Andaluza and the quote from the book is you'll see more than 10 whores some who pluck their eyebrows this is in a brothel sorry you'll see okay, more than okay. 10 whores some who <laughs> pluck their eyebrows throughout your lifetime just walking down the street oh 10 whores oh there it is <laughs> oh, there today. They are. <laughs> <Just> today. <laughs> How do you do, ladies? <laughs> Balanced humors require 10 whores a day. 10 whores. <laughs> That's the next advert. It's like <laughs> Balanced Balance humors, your- 10 whores. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Sorry. No, it's good. La, La Lozana Andalusa. In this book from 1528, Lozana declares that in a certain Roman brothel, you'll see more than 10 whores, some who pluck their eyebrows and others who shave their private parts. By mistake, we burned off all the hair from the private parts of a lady from Bologna, but we put butter on it and made her believe she was right in style. <laughs> <laughs> you burned this it book off? sounds amazing. <laughs> Imagine they're all like, shit and then they're like no it's 
it's good it's you won yeah, uh, yeah you you're look good. good you look great you look good. <laughs> put some <laughs> butter on it <laughs> put some butter on it like you're like holding it down where it burns you're like put some... <laughs> the butter is melting and you're like you look good you look, you look good. good you look good though after reading that quote i was like you know what there's a this is hyperlinked it's from 1528 this is around my favorite time period to read books i gotta read this book yes please brought me right back to wikipedia Mm-hmm. the name of the article is portrait of lozana the lusty andalusian woman oh that's Which is how like you the got, lusty oh. argonian maid yeah yeah so this story is it's a book that you can find, you can read, and it tells a story about a woman who uh, is a little promiscuous, and she is very pretty, although got a touch of syphilis on her face. Oh, <laughs> back in the day, it was hard. <laughs> she's she's really good. Women kind of seek her out for her abilities in cooking and medicine and beauty. Mm-hmm. Despite the touch of syphilis. <laughs> and the story itself is one of the first to be told almost exclusively in dialogue. Wow. Oh, and from cool. a woman's perspective, I'm guessing. Was it, it was n- no. by a woman? No. Bloody hell. Okay, so close. No, yeah, no. Um, also not necessarily from a woman's perspective, I don't think. Um, I don't uh, know the narrator's... Like, I haven't read the book yet. So yeah, yeah. I... I actually was not even intending to talk about this on the podcast. I clicked on it for myself so that I could write it down and read it when I'm done with my current book. But when I realized the name of the book and the fact that it is written in mostly dialogue, I thought of the Lusty Argonian Maid. And as far as I can tell, nobody has made this connection. It doesn't refer back to the Lusty Argonian Maid on the the wiki on this side and on mm-hmm. the bethesda side i can't see any mention of the connection so i wonder, I wonder if the author was just a big fan it is my head it's your head canon your, your fan fiction it is my head canon <laughs> that because the books are almost exactly the same title and written in the same style that this may be where the lusty argonian maid was inspired from I don't know for certain. It's a fan fiction. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. A Skyrim-inspired fan fiction of the lusty Andalusian woman. That's amazing. And it would make sense, too. It would make sense because this book was 1528, and Skyrim is medieval setting. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Good work on the author, on the writers, the Bastonian writers. Like, excellent research and knowledge of the time period bethesda bethesda sorry i'm gonna be laughing the rest of the day thinking about that poor lady who had her hoo-ha burnt and then someone whacked some butter on it (laughs) away you go all i can say is wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah i need a cigarette (laughs) (laughs) jesus I'm going to reiterate that I'm so concerned we all ended up here after Cocoa I think that's the internet, though. That is the internet's fault. Not not our mind's fault. Big internet. (laughs) You sound like Freud right now. It's the internet's fault. Oh, my God. I aim to never be like that man. (laughs) 
That's a slur now. That's Freudian. <laughs> it's, Freudian. Oh my Freudian. It's a Freudian, Instead of a Freudian slip. slip. That's just going to be a Freudian slur. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for braving this episode. I hope that... Uh, <laughs> I hope we mystified, horrified, and educated you all at once. If you want to come yes. hang out with us on Twitter, it's Go Ask Alice Pod. Go Ask Alice Podcast is our Instagram. You can find links to our Patreon and a permanent invitation to our Discord, where we will be discussing a little bit of books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And giving out free That's smooches. Right. <laughs> yes, if you sign up to be a Patreon, Drew will... Mr. President, you on it. <laughs> Speaking of, oh, I shit. think we should sign off with a smooch for Robin. Yes. Oh my God, how could I forget my smooches for Robin? Hey, Robin. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> oh, wow. We love Robin. We love Robin. We love Robin. Bye bye. Oh, bye-bye. It's dinner and tournament. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs>